Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. Absolutely. You know, when your parent is you know, getting DUIs and losing their license and all these things, then, yeah, it's very scary. And you don't really have control of your parents' behavior, so all you can control is your own. And so for me, that meant, like, I'm never going to drink. I mean, I just don't want to operate out of fear. I don't feel it's a healthy place. That was Gillian Jacobs. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Jacobs is an actress who really likes to work. I know that sounds like a particularly simple sentence to lead with, but after having so many actors on the show, you start to realize that a lot of the folks who you see on screen don't actually love being up there. It's more that acting is often the only job actors are qualified for. Not capable of, don't get me wrong, but just qualified for. Gillian went to Juilliard to study acting And I think it's there that her work ethic started. For pretty much the last decade of her life, Gillian has been a series regular on two shows. The first one was Dan Harmon's Community. The second one was Judd Apatow's Love. Within those two successful shows, you can see Gillian's range as a performer. She can be straight-laced and she can be reckless, bookish and silly. Her latest work can be found in two movies coming out this month. The first is Life of the Party, which dropped in theaters this past weekend. And the second one is Ibiza, which will debut on Netflix on May 25th. Here's a clip from the trailer. So you've been here for a little while. Four years. Right. It's time to send you on a little business trip. This weekend, three days, Barcelona. I'm going to Spain? Well, your energy would be perfect for this. What do you mean, my energy? You know, your energy, your drive, your ambition. Why are you putting them in quotes? Because I mean vagina. Anyway, have fun in Barcelona. Bye. This is so great. I can totally take the time off. And I'm freelance, so I'm totes available. Guys, this is an important work trip for me. You're not coming. Yes. We're in a hotel room. We can do whatever the heck we want. Nikki! I'm fine. You sure? Yeah, I just didn't know it was two beds. Now, a strange thing happened on this episode of the podcast, and I feel like I say that too often, so I apologize if I do. But on the day Gillian and I sat down, um, I kind of felt that, to be honest, that we didn't entirely get exactly where I wanted to go in the conversation. 
I thought that maybe I wasn't doing a great job of getting her to open up, and I thought that maybe she wasn't being entirely forthright in her um, responses. And then a couple days ago, when I listened to the tape, I realized that I think I'm just crazy. I think I'm just wrong. Gillian was actually um, really candid and insightful and thoughtful in this conversation, and I think um, I was just a little bit of an ass. I don't really love admitting that on this show, but hey, sometimes you gotta say the truth. Anyway, you'll have to decide how this one turned out. I think at the very least, it is a very interesting and unique back and forth that we had. And, um, well, I'm looking forward to part two of it. But for now, here is part one with Gillian Jacobs. But then I found something, and uh, you said, I have this quote, you said, I have um, social anxiety, so I get nervous to talk to people. Uh-huh. And I, I thought, well, God, this is going to be great then. So, <laughs> is that Your all? first silent interview. Oh, you know, that would really play well for the listeners, because then they just have to hear me talk, Yeah. which would really be awful. It's a solo-sode. That was good. Yeah. I mean, off the top, that was not bad. <laughs> so have you always had this social anxiety? Yeah, I don't I didn't do very well socially at school. That so that probably didn't help. <laughs> Only child, mainly around adults, not as many kids my own age, so that probably I didn't necessarily know how to talk to people my own age, much right. more comfortable around adults. My mother didn't really want me to watch TV or things like that, so I didn't know as much about pop culture as my classmates. So if they ever started talking about Probably music in particular, but so many movies I've never seen mm. still. Oh, like, so you, you haven't caught up from, no. from like the lost time. Mm-mm. But you were probably reading books. Yes, I was reading a lot of books. Look, there are so many books that you could bring up now yes. that most of us haven't read. And that's going to help me socially? <sighs> yeah, but I forgot that was the point <laughs> of all this. I, I, no, I don't know if that's going to help you socially, but it'll help you... Um, in life, sure, you have you accrued so much knowledge that yeah, that is true. So around the age nine, your mom, from what I've read, um, and if I quote anything today and it's wrong, just uh-huh. tell me to shut up and <laughs> correct me. <laughs> okay. So she signed you up for uh, an acting class. Is mm-hmm. that what happened? That's true. Yes, the school called my mother and said that I didn't have any friends and that I was talking to myself on the playground during recess and she should find me some kind of extracurricular activity. Would you like walk around recess like talking to yourself out loud mm-hmm. alone? Mm-hmm. What were you saying to yourself? I remember saying things like I, f- I feel like I may have been inspired slightly by Star Trek. So I remember saying like <laughs> star date, you know, and then I don't know, maybe just saying what I was thinking about. I remember saying that I wanted to be an investment banker, but I didn't really know what that was. I can't remember. I didn't know I wanted to be an actor until my mother signed me up for an acting class. And then I fell in love with it. And that's all I wanted to do. Right. I was wondering, do you at all remember that first day of going to class when she said like, okay, you have to go do this yes. now? Um, I don't know that I remember that specifically, but I remember my first acting classes and exercises we did in our little performance. I remember that. And I remember I wore a flower girl dress that I'd worn in my aunt's wedding recently to our like final performance for our parents. And I was very excited about that. Mm. And I feel like we acted out this parable from the Bible, the stone in the road. I feel like that was one of the things we did in my acting class. I mean, that's pretty specific. I feel, you know, if if it's coming up now, it probably is true. I feel like that's correct. Mm, I also remember doing some performance that was based on Noah's Ark and I played the dove at the end. Oh. Who came back with the olive branch so they knew there was dry land. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Memorable part for me. Um, I, I'm trying, I remember, do you, do you ever listen to the record or read the book Free to Be You and Me? I uh, know. This was very important as a, to me as a child. And we acted out sketches from Free to Be You and Me. What's that about? It was all about like 
self-confidence and, oh, like smashing gender stereotypes. There's one about a little boy who likes to play with a doll and people are making fun of him, but they're saying that he can play with whichever toys he wants. And I remember there was one about two babies who've just been born and they're saying one's a boy and one's a girl and they're saying, what jobs are you going to grow up to be? And then they're saying that, no, she can't do that because she's a girl. So it was a very progressive book. I was about to say, yeah. this is really, yeah. how old are you? Like nine, 10? Yeah, something like that. And then I remember my mom's favorite part was the, there was like a song about, it's easier to do like housework if you have more people doing it. So basically it was like <laughs> to get kids to do chores. So mm. my mom would play that song over and over again. While she was asking you to do chores? Maybe before. <laughs> To right. prime me. Prompting you. Yeah, to, to want to do the chores. At some point when you make it to high school, mm-hmm. did it click that you really wanted to act? I always liked history a lot and English, and I wanted to be a Supreme Court judge. Oh. But I didn't want to be a lawyer. I just wanted to go straight to being a judge. D- to being a, you wanted to skip lawyer, skip judge, and just be Supreme Court judge. Correct. Why did you want to be a judge? Are you law-abiding? Yes. I I got really into listening to um, audio recordings of Supreme Court cases. Okay. (laughs) There's no judgment here. I know. Really? No, no, no. You made a face. The listeners can't see the face you made, but the face. What was the face? Mm? It wasn't Mm? that bad. I look, you know, they can't see it, but you're articulating the face. So now they have a sense. (laughs) We've known each other for 10 minutes. That's mm-hmm. there, what's, what do I have to judge? Do I think it's a little... Um, uh, Choose your words carefully. Um, a, 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 a great... <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was going to say unusual, and then I'm like, no, don't say that. Eccentric? I don't know. You know mm-hmm. what? Um, unorthodox. Yes. Prob- yes. Which there's nothing wrong with no. unorthodox. Mm-hmm. Did you find diving into history... And the history of other people's lives to be more interesting, more interesting than the lives of the people around you at that age? Perhaps because people around me didn't show a lot of interest in me. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting to the heart of this now. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I always liked, I liked history. I liked Shakespeare. I liked, you know, all the things that are going to get you a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> but did you want a lot of friends? I wanted more friends than I had. I mean, I think most people want some friends. At any point, did you feel by the end of high school, like you had found a groove of some kind? Yeah, I went to this program called the Governor School for the Arts between my junior and senior year of high school. And it was kids from around the state of Pennsylvania. And it turned out there were some people from my high school or near me. And so I really, I hung out with them my senior year of high school. And I think I did better my senior year of high school. Maybe also knowing it was about to be over. I did have a group of, I had more friends in high school than I had in elementary school. So I did have a group of girlfriends. Mm. And I really loved everyone that I met at governor's school. And so that was also like 200 kids who were interested in the arts who were all together living in college dorms and taking classes together. And so that was like the largest group of people that I felt similar to that I'd ever been around. Right. And an indication that there were a lot of us out there. We were just spread out throughout the state of Pennsylvania. Shortly after you go to Juilliard, so you're 18 and you move away from home. I always wonder, like, do you remember the trip going to school? Uh Uh-huh. Did your parents take you? My mother took me and... I had been told when I visited the school to bring an Allen wrench because you could reassemble the dorm room furniture into a better configuration if you had an Allen wrench. Oh. So we brought an Allen wrench and I, because they had, when they built the dorms at Juilliard, they didn't, for some reason, think a lot of students were going to want to live in them. So they didn't build enough. And then they would (laughs) have to put two freshmen in what was supposed to be a single room. So with our sort of like bunk bed with desk underneath set up, as they arranged it, you essentially had to like walk sideways through the room and there was no space at all. And so someone had told me, 
you can reassemble it into bunk beds and then have the desks next to each other. And that way it'll feel better in your room. So I, yeah, I reassembled. You had this whole game plan going mm-hmm. there to change this room. Yes. Up. So I, I made it into bunk beds mm. that I remember moving in. How did your mother feel about you leaving home? She was very upset. And also after we made the bunk beds, I told her, you can leave now. <laughs> Yeah, And she said she cried all the way back to Pittsburgh. So I was not very sensitive to my mother's feelings in that moment. I'm so glad you said this. Well, not for your mom. I feel <laughs> bad about that. But I did the exact, you did it I did well. the exact same thing in that, that same night. Because my mom was like, oh, do you want to like go have dinner? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I think I got to do this now. Yeah. And uh, years later, she has told me that she cried the whole time going back home mm-hmm. and i and thinking about it now it's like we should have just been nice we should have just said but it's a big moment it's your first you don't want to hang out with your parents i know but you've finally gotten to college i know but it just it, it, a dinner you didn't you know an hour dinner would have been that probably would have like m- gone a long way yeah but we ripped the band-aid off we ripped we really did yeah how did you feel that first year of college was it exciting was it oh that face is not <laughs> uh it was overwhelming yeah it's it's a, a very rigorous program that i attended and so um you have almost no free time you don't get to choose any of your classes and um you have all of your classes with you know this group of actors that you're in class with and you don't really have class with anyone else so it's just the 18, it was the 18 of us to start out with. So you're just having class with them all day, every day. That's a lot of like, of the same people. Yes. So really only at lunch or dinner or back in the dorm, are you getting a chance to interact with anybody else? Yeah. How do you not go crazy talking to the same like 17 people? You do go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think, you know, I had a very hard time at Juilliard. Other people have an easier time than I did, but I found it to be very difficult. Why was that? Well, I think that uh, I was quite used to being like a kind of teacher's pet, like good student, and they were not buying my act. Um, And so I was very unaccustomed to not being... um, Doted? Yeah, by adults, because that's who I spent most of my time with. And so I also think I had learned some bad habits from doing plays as a kid. And so they were trying to break me of those. And I didn't know how to let go of that. But they also weren't great at sort of celebrating what you were good at. So if you just sort of feel constantly criticized and torn down Uh. and not really celebrated for anything, you start to wonder, like, am I actually any good at this? Or did they make a mistake in choosing me to come here and then... If I have to leave this school, what am I going to do? Because I, you know, I didn't get a, like a liberal arts education and I would have had to reapply to colleges. So I was, yeah, I did not have a good time there. So they wouldn't couch the criticism in like compliments. Like, (laughs) I mean, a lot of people, that's how they give notes. It's like, I like this, this, and this, but this was a huge, you know, a mess. No, no, no. And, and I think from what I've heard, I went to a warmer, friendlier version of the school than uh. people had previously experienced, but um, even still, no. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of praise. No, they were not. They're not very concerned about like your emotional well-being. Right. Yes. Well, they were probably priming you for the business. Uh, they did a good job of it. Right. Yes, I was not as thrown by the business as maybe some other people. I did not expect praise, which yeah, I think they did do me. A, I don't think that that was the lesson they thought they were teaching me, but it was. It did prove to be useful. Right. How did you manage to move forward and in, in, in even wanting to act when it felt so bleak mm-hmm. for four years? I didn't necessarily want to act, but I felt like I had backed myself into a corner by going to a performing arts school uh. that didn't offer any kind of academic education so I felt you can only get another type of job if you have studied something else. I felt like I have a BFA. The only thing I'm trained to do is act. That's the only thing I can do. So I better make this work. Mm. I had a very, you know, tunnel vision view of, <laughs> of professional life <laughs> where you couldn't change your mind or switch or, you know, just apply for a job or go to grad school for something else. I felt like 
I've made my bed. Now I have to lay in it. I I studied acting in college. Now I have to be an actor. Right. Do, do you find that the tunnel vision is okay? I mean, I, it probably is the reason I'm still an actor because I didn't really enjoy acting by the time I graduated Juilliard. And so if I had believed that I could have had another, if I believed I had other options, I might have left acting. A lot of people, not a lot, but there are, I think, people who graduate Juilliard and never pursue acting. Hmm. I sort of immediately quit, which I understand. Because <laughs> you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really, I, I had sort of, when I started that school, I loved acting and I loved plays, but I didn't have a lot of technique and I graduated with technique, but no like joy for it anymore. <laughs> so you had technique, no joy. And how was your emotional well-being at the end of it? Not great. Not great. <laughs> it took me a couple of years to recover from Juilliard. I think I had to really go into therapy that helped me a lot um but like you said i do think it in a weird way prepared me for the business the rejection of being an, a professional actor so mm. i wasn't necessarily thrown by that maybe i expected people to say no to me after four <laughs> years at juilliard so that didn't deter me as much i tried to take sort of the long view of the of it and think about like I'm trying to build a lifelong career in this rather than looking at like short-term losses or gains. Yeah, I guess I'm just impressed by the fact that at 22, 23, when you- 21, yeah. 21, I, I was the youngest in my class, yeah. To graduate. Mm -hmm. To at 21 feel like, okay, I just did this whole thing, mm -hmm. but I have no joy for the thing I just spent. I don't know, you know, it costs money, it costs yeah. time, it-, it, it and to have that feeling of, of zero joy at uh -huh. that age and then think, God, here's the rest of my life, a joyless yeah. potential existence in, uh -huh. in my work life. Yep. A bad coping mechanism developed from my childhood of disassociating your emotional life from your intellect. Is that what you did as a kid? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've never thought about how you said it until you said it like that. But yes, that makes total sense that I would do something like that. I would make an intellectual decision that I have... This is the career I have to pursue, even if emotionally I I felt nothing. Is that because you can intellectually talk yourself into anything? I think I have an ability to reason my way through a lot of things and sort of leave behind my feelings or consider my feelings to be secondary or irrelevant. Mm. How did you do that in childhood? Was there an instance you're thinking about? Well, I mean, I, you know, I had a parent with a drinking problem and I think that's a kind of common probably coping mechanism for children who are growing up, you know, in an alcoholic household or with an alcoholic parent. Ah. Yeah. But, and your response to that is to not drink though, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems, I, you know, I also had, um, had a few stepfathers. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they had varying degrees of drinking. And uh, I've I thought about this, now I'm thinking about it out loud with you, that maybe I shouldn't drink, but I think, oh, since they're my stepfathers, uh -huh. it's not in the bloodline. I, don't, yeah. I mean, I, who's to by say- By the way, that's like really talking my way into something. <laughs> <laughs> but who's to say my response is a healthy one? You know, it was just, I was scared. And so I felt like the only way I could have control is to never drink. And so I've never drank, but that's not- entirely rational mm. and you shouldn't i don't think make decisions out of fear i don't know that i i made a healthy decision it was just something that made me feel like i had some measure of control what were you scared of becoming an alcoholic <laughs> yeah you thought it was a, it was a guarantee if you if you started yeah i had a very childlike view of it you know and i um it felt like a very slippery slope for me if i had a drink then i was going to become an alcoholic Wow. So, you know, because I, I had a child's understanding of it. Um, Did it seem scary to you as a kid? Absolutely. You know, when your parent is, you know, getting DUIs and um, losing their license and all these things, then, yeah, it's very scary. And you don't really have control over, you know, you don't have any control over your parents' behavior. So all you can control is your own. And so for me, that meant, like, I'm never going to drink. I mean, I just don't want to operate out of fear. I don't feel it's a healthy place. And that's where that choice came from. Yeah, it's like control and fear and uh, feeling like everything's so precarious. So that's not coming out of a like a balanced place for me. Hmm. It's just I made a decision that on the face of it looks like, oh, you don't drink. Yeah. 
But it you seems know, pragmatic. Seems pragmatic, but I was also a child of that's also like an extreme. And so someone said to me, when you're making choices that are very extreme, that's coming from like a childlike place. That's your childhood damage. Who said that? My therapist. Ah. The people. <laughs> so that, you know, that resonated with me that whenever I feel extreme feelings about something, like, is that relating back to, to something that I haven't fully resolved uh-huh. that I'm still looking at through a child's eyes? Did you have an extreme feeling to move to Los Angeles after college? That was more of my pragmatic divorce from my emotional state side of like, <laughs> that's where more work is. But I, I couldn't entire, I would come back and forth after I graduated, but I didn't fully move to Los Angeles until I got community. I like how we're separating the decisions now between... Emotional and intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. You could go through a lot of my life like that. <laughs> <laughs> is that frustrating to you? I mean, I, I guess it would be healthier to integrate the two of them. <laughs> Rather than see myself as sort of two separate beings or just see myself as sort of like I said to someone, I see myself as like a brain moving through the world, uh. sort of divorced from a body. So, uh, but it's a weird job that I've chosen where people are like looking at me as a person, but I sort of see myself as just like a a, a head, oh, a brain. Yeah. You see yourself as a head. A more, brain more specifically than a head. Brain over. Because a, a head has a face. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah dude, now I think I'm understanding yeah. the psychology of this okay, a little good, bit. Good. So community <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's hard to talk about. Like, oh, so community. Yeah. After my- <laughs> after you're talking about how you don't see yourself as a full fledged person. Yes. <laughs> so the show seemed crazy. I mean, it what was, did you have yeah, a, wow. That was what wild. was it like what working with? Ride. Oh my god. I know. Oh wow. <laughs> Yahoo. They bought it and uh, whatever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote stuff down, but it all seems so banal now. <laughs> My question about community. Um, I only watched the first three seasons. Okay. Because after that, I don't really know. I don't, I didn't understand what was happening to the show. Yes. Uh, a lot of things that felt like not really part of the show happened. Like people were leaving. They were like new Dan Harmon left. And I was a kid and I, 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 just, yeah. I just didn't want to keep up with that. You should check out seasons five and six. Should I watch the, the last two? Yeah. Did you, am I missing out? I think so. There were some you, people left. You're very correct. Season four is when Dan was no longer there. But I think there are some great episodes of season five and six. Okay. Did the turmoil of the show, um, was, did it become a nuisance at a certain point? Nuisance is too mild of a word. Okay. Well, um, yeah, it was very difficult. It was an incredibly difficult work. Work experience. <laughs> Give me the honest word. I don't want to do um, a mild one. It was bullshit. No, I wouldn't say bullshit. It was like an emotional roller coaster where every day felt like a year. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't help that we had very long working days. So right. we were there for a lot of hours. Ah. Yes. Every day felt like a year. Kind of, yeah. So you have to be like 354 now. Oh, yeah. That show. Yes. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very strange combination of very, very, very difficult to make, but then also, you know, it felt like we were also getting to make a very good show. Right. So I think if, if I had not actually liked the show and what we were doing, it would have been even worse. Mm. But because we were working very hard, to make something that we all believed in, I think that kept us going. Was leaving New York City to live in this city mm-hmm. and to work on the show, did, did you, I don't know, was it was it upsetting to leave no. New York? No, by the time I left New York, I was ready to move. I wanted to have some kind of stability in my life. And so this was the first time I ever... Earned a living, really. Did you say stability? Stability. Let me write that down. Is that a a new word for you? Yeah, for me, I'm just sort of I'm sort of just trying to map that out for myself. I appreciate you coming here today. Sure. Stability. Stability. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. No. So it was not a difficult. By the time I left New York, it was not a difficult decision for me. And and you did find stability when you moved here. Well, I had a routine. I had a place where I was expected. You had a job. Yes. Call time. Yes. That was the first time I'd had an extended job that lasted months, you right. know, that gave my whole life structure. Right. Are you good without structure? No. 
<laughs> You've chosen a bad field. I know. But working in TV is good for right. people like me. Because yeah. you wake up every day at the same time. Or, 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 or yeah, or you to go it. to essentially the same place. You know, in community, we didn't shoot on location ever. So I was going to the same place every day, see the same people there. Right. You know, yes, I liked that very much. Why do you think that you need structure over just like free floating? Because, you know, being an actor is a job that requires somebody else hiring you. Mm. So when you don't, when you don't have that structure, that also normally means you're not working. And I like to work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to get better at um, the times where I'm not working. Did you find at some point in community when you moved here, mm -hmm. you were also not just moving here for a show, but you were moving here to like satisfy this idea of you being an actor, mm -hmm. which is like what you wanted to do in college, despite college telling you or making you feel like you weren't any good at it. Yeah. Did you at any point on that show find in yourself like, oh, you know what? Maybe I am not bad at this. Maybe I do have some worth here. Well, I had acted previous to community. No, I, had, I know, you know that. Yeah. But I will say the thing that I think you're right about is that I felt like community helped me rediscover my joy for acting. Ah. That was the first time I felt like I really had fun acting huh. after Juilliard. Yeah. Because I had also done very serious, humorless dramas essentially up until that point. So that was a really important thing for me of learning that it's okay to be silly, to have fun, um, things that weren't necessarily encouraged or celebrated at Juilliard. Oh! 13. Oh, great. So much for bagels. So much for what? The bagels. You dropped them on the floor. Uh, they're called bagels. Uh, I lived in New York, Troy. I know what a bagel is. <laughs> What the hell is wrong with you? What? You say bagel wrong. I say it the same as you. Say it again. Bagel. Can <laughs> 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 we just keep studying? Them, I understand, but how did you not think of that? I may have been thrown off by Britta's pronunciation of the word bagel. How do you pronounce bagel? I don't. Come on. Bagel. Ugh, you're the worst. Jeff's unprecedentedly right about this, Abed. When we find this girl, you're going to approach her just the way you are because that's good enough. Yeah, and then you can take her to a nice deli and treat her to a bagel. <laughs> Abed, you've inspired me too. People can mock me all they want. I don't care how I say the word bagel. <laughs> what year uh, did you move here? 2009. Okay, so the year before that, you do a play with Philip Seymour Hoffman. That he directed, yes. That he directed. Mm -hmm. um, I've been reading about this today. Just, I, I need to, to, to ask about that time in your life. Mm -hmm. So that's like right before you move to LA. Mm -hmm. You're probably like sick and tired of New York at that point. I, it sounds it's coming like. to the end. Yes. To the end of the road. <laughs> yes, it was coming to the end of the road. And But then you have, as someone who has a theater background, mm -hmm. you're you're working with like... One of, when he was living, one of the best theater folks alive. What was that like? It was amazing and very difficult. Um, he had such high standards that he held all of us to that I never felt like I was living up to them, that I was doing a good enough job, that I was committed enough <laughs> as an actor, that my performance was truthful enough. That Higher than Juilliard? Oh my God, yes. Because I, well, I respected him so much. You know, I had such conflicted feelings about Juilliard that I think in some part I could dismiss them because I felt like they didn't, yeah. But I had so much respect for him that when he would say more, 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 and yeah. you knew he could do it himself, that's another thing about being directed by someone who is such an incredible actor is that you know whatever they're asking of you, they could, themselves can do. And I think sometimes when a director is not also an actor, you can tell yourself like, well, they're asking me to do something that's impossible. Right. Like, or they couldn't ever do this. Yeah, they, like, they couldn't do this. Yeah, right they don't now. understand how to talk to actors. That's not a thing. Like, you know, but when it's him <laughs> and you know he could do it like that, that it, then you're like, fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds intimidating. It was. And I lost my voice. I got um, nodules ah. on my vocal cords. And so then I'm going out there every night not knowing if I'm going to produce any sound. And I'm going to vocal therapy and I'm on these steroids. And they're making me feel really strange. And so, yeah, it was a very um, 
it was a very emotional time. Would you go home from a day of work feeling depleted? Absolutely. Well, I just didn't know if I was ever going to get my voice back, ah. which is a, it's a pretty scary thing when you're an actor. Mortifying. Yes. And I go out every night not knowing if I was actually going to produce sound when I got on stage. So that was pretty scary. Like when it was like a dice roll, whether that would happen? Yeah, I didn't know what my voice was going to sound like. And ah. then I was on, so I was on vocal rest. So you're trying not to talk and you're writing notes to people all the time. You're trying to save your voice for the show and, you know, on these steroids that made me feel strange and then going to vocal therapy and everything. So yeah, that was, that was really difficult. What did Philip say about that? When you and you were like, I have vocal issues. Was he sympathetic or was he like, hey, we have to do a show? Well, I remember my voice was getting worse and worse and no one was really taking it that seriously. And finally I got off stage and I started crying. And the two actresses that I shared a dressing room with went to Phil and were like, there's something wrong. She knows, needs to go see a doctor. And so then, of course, I think because, you know, a lot of actors deal with some version of this. Everyone was, you know, great in the theater, sent me to a doctor and got me all the help. But until that happened, I kept trying to do all these exercises, do whatever. But I really, you know, I had nodules on my vocal cords and I needed to not speak and I needed to be on steroids. And, you know, so it's it's really hard when you're doing a play <laughs> and you have to project. Right. Yeah. And how did it turn out? They went away. They've come back. But I feel like I've developed better techniques because I just did a play. I just finished a play and I was very worried going in that it was going to happen again. And it didn't. And my voice was totally fine for the whole run of that. So that felt like a real victory for me because that had been, it was at the same theater that I'd done the play with Phil. Oh. So it was like 10 years later at the you same theater. I returned back. 10 years later and I did the play and I didn't lose my voice. So I f I'm feeling better about it now. Was the losing the voice a, a physical reaction or an emotional one? It was physical. I could show you the <laughs> the screenshots you from the. You can bring them in. And yeah, we'll, they said we'll, stick we'll the camera over. down your throat and look at your vocal cords and yeah. <laughs> so I've I've seen the polyps. <laughs> That's uh, upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> it's like an upsetting image. Oh yeah, and I I remember my doctor was really great, but not like a super emotional guy. And it's it's just so scary as an actor that at the end of one session with him, I was like, can I hug you? And I just sort of like threw my arms around him and was crying. I think I cried every time I went to his office. <laughs> scary. You know, I've seen other interviews you've done and there's a lot of questions about you in contrast to the characters you've played. Yes. And uh, it strikes me that you are not at all like these people. Mm-hmm. Does it bother you that people conflate the two? Um, Especially, I think, with, with Mickey. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, I think it would only bother me if I felt like people wouldn't hire me to do different things. Hmm. But I feel like I've gotten to play different types of parts, and I don't feel terribly typecast by, you know, directors or writers. So, no. I think it's confusing to people that I play these characters that are so dissimilar to me. Confusing because they want you to be... I guess it's easier to understand if you're like the character. Also, I didn't understand entirely why they wanted me to play Mickey on Love, because on paper, I am not much like her. <laughs> What's got you down? I have, let's just call them impulse control issues. We're not dead yet, fuckers! I feel like I'm losing it. You say that a lot. You're the girl who cried crazy. I saw my ex last night. I think he's still really hung up on me. She's a fucking whore. I told you not to call her that. Oh, shit. Uh, Thank you for defending my honor. I am the one that called you a whore. By the end of Love, I mean, Love ended, um, I guess, a few months ago. We finished shooting it last year, and it came out this year. This year? Mm-hmm. Do you feel secure in in your place in acting now? No actor ever feels secure <laughs> in their place. But I have, a, you know, before I got community, I wasn't sure that I would ever work consistently, ever. Right. And now I have a feeling I will work. I don't know what it will be, <laughs> but I will work. There'll be some kind there of... Will be, I will, there will be work. Ah. Yes. But you always want to be doing the things you're not doing. Okay. Well, what things are those? Uh, you know, I think that's... Like why I did the play that I just did was that my character in that play is a lobbyist, a healthcare lobbyist. And I was doing a play that was about 
ideas and principles. And it was very different from Mickey and Britta for that matter as well. And so it's like, I want to do something with someone who's excelling at their job. Uh, I'm doing a piece of work that has nothing to do with romantic relationships whatsoever. <laughs> it's about ethics and moral and government and campaign finance and super PACs and all of these, you know, lobbying. And right. so I think, you know, you just sort of crave variety in your career. So more of that. And in, in choosing the roles, are you no longer separating like your thought process, which we've talked about. Yeah. My, my intellectual emotional divide. Yeah. Is that, is that still informing how you choose the things you do? I mean, I think it would be silly to leave my intellect out of the process, (laughs) but I'm trying to work on things that I'm excited to do. That's my operating principle at this point. Not things I'm talking myself into. Uh, Yeah. How does that feel? Feels good. It also means like maybe I'm going to take more breaks than I used to. Uh-huh. You know, I like to, I used to like to just work, 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 just go straight from one job into the next. Right. How are you at breaks? Well, we've already discussed I'm not good. But I mean, like now, the, you, oh, you've now. grown, you've yeah. grown. Oh, yeah. This would suggest that my question is not. Is that like... I'm fixed and um, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing better with breaks. I'm doing better with breaks. Is it bad that I'm assuming that you've grown as a person? No, I like that. <laughs> I've tried, certainly trying. I mean, I I will say though, in this conversation, I have sensed that you're like skeptical of my intentions. Oh, really? A little bit. And I wonder if that's just how you are with people though. Yes. I'd say it's not specific to you. Okay. I wasn't going to take like personal (laughs) offense. Don't. (laughs) Why do you think that is? I don't know. It's just, I have a natural reticence, I think. Ah. That I have to uh, push myself past. A natural reticence. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you think there's like ulterior motives or there's or something bad will happen? Um, maybe. I don't know. I just, yeah. I take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a- answering all of your questions, though. Well, yes, of course. Am I not? Am I trying to give you thoughtful answers? I'm not, right? You've been entirely thoughtful. Okay. Uh, but you're very smart. Okay. Um, like you're much smarter than I am. So so I can tell that like you can intellectually answer any question Mm -hmm. and it it will like, it will hold up on paper. Yes. But you know, I'm good at like maybe three things in this world. (laughs) Okay. And I know when someone is also giving an answer that is like emotionally charged. Okay. And I can tell, yeah, the, the reluctance and I guess I want to communicate, even though we're like almost at the hour mark now, <laughs> I want to communicate that I actually don't have, um, like my interest purely in doing this is like trying to understand. It's like what the show is built on. Yeah. It's not like a normal interview. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I feel bad because I feel like I haven't done a sufficient job to convince you of that. Oh, well, I don't know. An hour is enough time. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I come back for part two, there's a part two. I guess there has to be. There does. Well, we didn't even get to the things that I'm probably my publicist wanted me to talk about. Okay, <laughs> g- g- I want to know. Give me the genuine enthusiasm. Well, audience, dear dear listeners, <laughs> go check out Life of the Party, starring Melissa McCarthy and myself, and the film Abizo, which will be on Netflix. That one sounded my- really interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited for people to see it. Can I'm you, actually wearing part of my costume today. This oh. dress that I'm wearing is actually, I, I took it from the film. Oh, right. I recognize it from the movie. No, <laughs> it didn't get me. <laughs> you haven't seen it. Are you disappointed that I No, haven't? I'm not. It's not your fault. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to be supportive. Uh, just watch it when it comes out. I can How watch about it when that? it you comes make, out. You make that guarantee? No. You better. Well, you don't. But you, hold on. I can't make that guarantee. Why not? Because you have. Do you have Netflix? Yes. Of then course. you can easily watch but it. But you haven't made. You haven't given me a guarantee that you'll give, unless it's on part two, truly honest answers to some questions. I have given you very honest answers. If you go back, dear listeners, check the record. I have given you very candid, honest. In- I'm not crying. Is that what makes it feel like it's not honest? Yeah. I think if, if there need if there's tears, then it's real. <laughs> That is a that's a hacky view of acting. It's a hacky view of interviewing yeah. too. <laughs> I've given you very emotional answers. I just have an ability to talk about these things in a way that seems dry. Oh. I wasn't calling it dry. 
You're calling it dry. Oh my god! Now we're really getting to this the heart. This turned to a really combative interview. It, but I think it's uh It feels also theatrical. Okay, good. Unless you really mean to be combative. No, I don't. I, I don't often mean to be combative. I don't think I'm. I'm being genuine at all. I think I'm being silly. <laughs> okay, good. I think I'm being silly. Can I ask you some some things before we go? Okay, sure. Um. <laughs> I get why you're reticent. Thank you. Because um. <laughs> We're in a city and in a place that uh, I think often doesn't give a shit about the person. Sure. And um, you're probably uh, a more healthy person than I am (laughs) for like having walls that you've put up. Yeah, maybe. Once again, I don't know. (laughs) It's just how I've gotten through I don't know. You've been you've done really really well. Other people might have done the same without the walls, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. My question is: Do you feel like right now, not with me, but in general in your life, <laughs> do you feel happy? Um. No, but I very rarely feel happy. So. This makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> Why do you rarely feel happy? I I don't know. It's probably like an allowance of joy. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I deserve to be happy. I don't think being happy being happy is beside the point. Uh. Uh, <laughs> these are all things I've been grappling with. Really? Yeah, absolutely. How do you grapple with them? Well, at first, saying to myself, perhaps it's okay to be happy. Oh. Perhaps that uh, you're allowed to be happy. Perhaps you can expect happiness, and then that just maybe allows for a possibility of it. Yeah. Has that has that helped at all? Yeah. I feel like it started a conversation with myself. Yeah. I'm working on it. Is it hard to work on it? Yeah. But it's worth doing, so I'll, I'll continue to endeavor. Mm. What do you want to do career-wise? Mm. Well, I would like to make more documentaries specifically about women in technology. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested in women in early Hollywood history as well. And acting-wise, work on parts that challenge me and with people that I want to work with. Uh, Vague, vague answers. No, they're fine answers. <laughs> now now I've really gone into your head about the answers. Who are, if you, like, give me a few people that you're like, oh, I would love to do something with them. Uh, I love Mike Mills. Oh, that would be, that's a good combination. The back of my head is in Beginners. I played the back of Melanie Laurent's head for a day of reshoots in Beginners. Wait, wait what? Yes, so I got an email from Mike Mills very much out of the blue. I think we'd met once. And he said, I think you have roughly the same hair color. As Melanie Laurent. And you're roughly her height. And we're having to do a day of reshoots and she can't come. So will you be the back of her head? So I did, I was in a, I was basically over me onto you and McGregor <laughs> for a scene in Beginners. Well, so look, you're already in there. I know. So I'd just like to now actually be allowed to be myself on camera. <laughs> Um, there's a quote and you said this is your mantra, um, from RuPaul. If you can't yes. love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? Um, I'm still at zero. I'm stuck at square one. Love it. Trying to learn to love myself. Yeah. Is that how you feel? <laughs> sure. I mean, if you're really, really honest about that, I feel like a lot of people are stuck at that part. Yeah. You may be right. I just, I guess there's a part of me that wants to be like an optimist in this conversation. Uh-huh. Maybe this is. Are per- you forming your personality in opposition to mine now? No, this is, this is. <laughs> and that was being combative. No, that wasn't combative at all. That was a genuine question. It's not enough. Op- Are you being more optimistic because I'm a, I'm a sort of. But don't you, don't you think we do that? Yes. Like in com- conversationally, because then you're saying a lot of things that in my heart, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like I, I identify with it. Mm-hmm. And yet when I hear that, I'm like, well, maybe I should, I should give something else. Yes. But maybe I'm not. Yeah. Two people just agreeing with each other is is not a great podcast. No, no. Yes. Yes. It's not as interesting, Mm -hmm. but maybe you're right. I mean, maybe I actually have been less honest than you have in this conversation. (laughs) Is that possible? I don't know. 
Only you can answer that. <laughs> okay. Well, if we have round two of this, maybe we'll get to the You're going to cry. <laughs> you know, you could totally interview me and get me there. I'm also an easy crier. You are. Oh, look at me. <laughs> I look like I'm like, look at my temperament. I'm just like, could fold over at any moment. Um, has this been okay? This has been great. I have a feeling you're like upset with me. Why are you saying that? You're know. projecting now. I know, I know. I don't mean to project. I'm sorry. I just, I, I feel this has been, probably been an odd interview for you. I, I, you know what? It's it's more interesting than being asked the same questions over and over again. I tried not to ask you a single question. Yeah. <laughs> Period. <laughs> that you haven't been asked before. <laughs> Ellipse, ellipse, ellipse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gillian Jacobs, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, till round two. Till round two. Special thanks to Larissa and Allison at IDPR for making today's episode possible. If you'd like to see more of Gillian, well, she does have two movies in May. Life of the Party, which came out this past weekend, is now in theaters around the country. And then on May 25th, Ibiza will be available on, uh, you know, all the couches across the country when it drops on Netflix. To learn more about Gillian, you can check out our show notes at www.talkeasypond.com. Also on the site are all of the episodes this show has ever done. We are approaching 100, but uh, if you like today's episode, you'd probably like some talks we've had this year with folks like J.D. Plus, Alia Shawkat, Julie Dash, and many, many more. As always, our show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, Illustrations by Krishna Shanoi. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fricoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts.